Hey guys, Jazz here with another AAC podcast. Today we're with Aaron Rhodes from Driveline Baseball. Aaron, just give us a quick introduction of yourself and a quick introduction of what uh, Driveline do. Yeah, well, hey Jazz, appreciate you having me on. Uh, been pretty cool to to you know build a connection with you, learn a little bit about what you guys got going on uh, down in Adelaide. But yeah, I've been with Driveline Baseball uh, since 2019. Uh, actually, play indie ball myself. Uh, position player out here. Uh, but yeah, with driveline, basically what we do, uh, is we work with tons of coaches and players, uh, really all around the world, uh, just trying to maximize, uh, their development. Uh, so on the coaching side, we do, um, all kinds of certification processes and do, um, put out a lot of educational content about training athletes, uh, really optimizing development. Um, and then with athlete training, we actually have guys come in, uh, both in our Washington facility and our Arizona facility, uh, as well as work with guys remotely. So, uh, a really wide range all the way from, you know, youth guys. Uh, we run some youth teams here, uh, in Washington, as well as, uh, working all the way up to, you know, guys in the big league. So it's a pretty wide ranging scope. Uh, but yeah, really, uh, yeah, really happy to be here, Jeff. That's right. Uh, developing players. I just want to hear a little bit about what do you think they, you guys do differently compared to what we might do in Australia. I know we do have some limitations in terms of technologies, but in terms of training practices, what does driveline do differently? Yeah. So I think a big part of driveline's training is uh, it's something that we're always trying to develop. It's not like one specific, uh, you know, like philosophy that we're going to be married to. Uh, We run all of our athletes through a really thorough assessment process. So we're pretty fortunate to have a lot of biomechanic data for both throwing and hitting. Um, so we'll combine a lot of that with, you know, tech data, uh, as well as, you know, lifting data from stuff from like force plates, uh, you know, movement screen stuff, meeting with our onsite physical therapist. So we try to get a really comprehensive assessment, uh, when we work with guys. Um, all that information we've collected over the years has helped us, uh, really, uh, better steer the way that we do work with athletes on both the throwing and the hitting side. Um, a lot of that, uh, as you know, really um, is related to how we we deal with them in the weight room, right? Trying to develop uh, really strong, powerful athletes. So uh, that's kind of the way that we work with guys. In terms of differences, I think, between uh, like America and Australia, um, you know, I, I think the landscape's a, a little bit different. I was fortunate to be down in Australia a couple of months ago uh, working at the, uh, the U18, U16 uh, national championships, working with some of the coaches there, uh, getting to learn a little bit about how you guys operate and kind of what the annual schedule is like, obviously a little bit different than what we do um, in America, right? It's a little bit more geared towards, okay, we've got, you know, uh, like at a high school, college side of things, guys have their spring season and they have summer ball, um, a little bit more of a window typically to focus on development where I think sometimes uh, could be a little bit more challenging uh, in Australia from everything I, I was able to learn a little bit about how there's kind of competition year round uh, sometimes can make the development periods a little bit more challenging. So, um, it's a unique, uh, it's a unique challenge and, uh, it's certainly not like, uh, you know, a better or worse thing, but, um, those are some of the differences I was able to notice, um, you know, from a little time in Australia. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think for anyone looking for coaching out there or to work with the facility, one of the best things that you mentioned is, um, the facility and coaches always have to be looking to improve. I think that's what sets a lot of good facilities apart from maybe not so good facilities is the constant approach to 
always be better, always improve your practice and always improve your service as well. Yeah, exactly. And we've got so many good training, uh, so much good training staff for our, you know, for our pitching guys, our hitting guys, our strength guys, uh, our guys a little bit more focused on the youth development. Um, all those guys are, we really try to bring in people that are really focused on, um, you know, being better than they were yesterday, uh, that kind of mindset, the growth mindset, um, as well as just, you know, constant education, constant changing of the way that we assess athletes, the way we program. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, I, I think that's a really uh, big success determinant in how we uh, can work with athletes. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are you, what are some uh, training modalities that maybe we see in grassroots sports or lower level baseball um, that sort of need to be phased out. I know I've seen a bit here with my short time in baseball of training practices that maybe don't make sense to me. And I've heard other people disagree with it. Um, what are some that you think maybe need to be updated or some coaches maybe need to find some other resources that maybe work better for them? Yeah, I, I'd probably say just a little bit more big picture is just the the way we look at um, competition and development. Uh, I think something that um, that we've maybe been a little bit earlier on in America with with baseball is actually having a little bit more focused time for athletes where they're stepping away from competition and actually focusing on uh, improving their skill set. Uh, a really good example would be like the high school athlete that, you know, maybe was good enough to get like a division three offer, but really has aspirations at playing at a higher level uh, or a college guy who uh, has taken a gap year between uh, transferring schools. A lot of times we'll work with athletes like this um, and actually have them not play baseball for an extended period of time. That way that we can really hone in, uh, you know, maybe something like throwing harder, uh, getting stronger in the weight room, running faster, hitting the ball harder, uh, swinging the bat faster, all that good stuff. Um, so I, I think that's, yeah, one big thing is just like having a little bit more of a, like a step back type approach sometimes with certain athletes that maybe need to develop a skill that way that when they do get back to competition, they can be that much better of a player. I, I, I don't know if that answered your question specifically, but that's a little bit more of my broader, broader thoughts there. No, I like, I like that. Um, yeah, I guess here we have a little bit, a sort of a battle between, are we playing enough? Um, I don't think maybe we get to the point where we play too much, but we have had a guy in-house recently, Max Dagg, who has had about um, his grace period from high school to college had run-ups. So he had about has about 10 months to really have an off-season, and we've seen some massive improvements in his development, not just in his physical development, but in his swing, his attitude, and... Yeah just his learning processes as well. I think it's been a really valuable period for him to take time, a little bit of time away from baseball. Like I know he's really, really, really hanging for it to play now. Um, but it's been nothing but productive to that sort of 10 months that we've had away from baseball for him. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. The game, I mean, the game is why we all, you know, it's why you train. It's why, you know, you're, you're trying to get the most out of your skill set. but it is pretty cool to see guys take that step back, really focus on something that they weren't that good at. Um, and a lot of times you get those beginner gains, like, you know, way better than I would on the strength side, right? Where a guy isn't lifted, you go through his first training block and he's making gains like crazy because he's, he's got, um, he's never actually been in the weight room. And a lot of times the same type of thing can happen on the skill development side with swinging the bat faster or throwing, uh, throwing harder when an athlete actually gets on ramped and focuses like an entire training block on developing that, um, you know, with different implements and different 
challenging environments, uh, which is pretty cool to kind of see the way that uh, that type of focused approach can make such a difference uh, in a player's career. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess this leads into my next question. So what gaps do you see in training for youth athletes? Um, I guess we covered one in saying maybe a lot of them haven't had an extended period of investment time into improving their physical performance. Um, What's something else that maybe you guys see um, that doesn't quite get covered as well as other things do? Yeah, so I guess kind of pulling from some of the stuff our youth guys do, uh, Devin Morgan kind of brought a lot of our, our youth, um, you know, a lot of our, our youth ideas and the way we want to work with athletes to life. Uh, again, we're running teams out of here. Uh, we've been able to put out like a coaching certification, a bunch of content. And I think a lot of it centers around um, really just developing athletes, letting uh, letting them actually have fun. I think uh, there, there's kind of a culture, certainly in America, where it gets really competitive uh, early on in terms of like what that in-game product looks like. Uh, you know, his big, his big philo- um, philosophy is not the right word. His big motto is like developing skills with scale, uh, which is like building athletes that are going to be able to actually have success at the next level. Uh, cause you see all the time where you've got a guy who's really good at little league, maybe who's just like, you know, hitting balls between infielders, like really lightly. Um, and then when they get to a bigger field, they're not very good because they're not that physical. Um, so I, I think a lot of the way that we'll work with youth athletes is really number one, making sure they have fun at baseball. We've got like, we'll kind of weave in tons of games in our training environment. It's pretty cool to go out on the floor and see like during our academy training sessions, we got like med ball, volleyball, and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. The kids are having a blast. They don't realize that, uh, they're actually going through a pretty cool training session, but, uh, I digress, but they, they try to have, okay, hey, like, let's make sure the kids are having fun. Uh, let's make sure we're developing good athletes so they get the best chance to succeed as they grow. So, uh, yeah, just when we're approaching youth athletes, it's really, um, being a little bit less focused on the competition outside of the season or the, like the in-game competition and more just like developing the athlete, um, developing, uh, the competitor, developing the physical skills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one thing I'm, we're really proud of here is it has to be fun no matter what sort of session it is, uh, strength, speed, power, skill development. It has to be a fun session. Yeah, I, I know for us our um our warm up consists of a lot of basketball, so it's fun, it's athletic, and we find sometimes we can get really good adaptations just by playing those games. It helps everyone stay athletic, stay loose, and sometimes it doesn't need to be sort of that purposeful practice. It can just sort of be it can be just what it is. It can be fun and it can be competitive, which yeah helps the athletes so much. No, that's exactly it. And I mean, shoot, our like high performance guys are going to do it with our adult athletes too. They'll run them through warmups and, um, you know, it'll be 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes the guys don't even realize that they just went through, but you know, they went through their, like their stability work, their dynamic warmup, and then they're doing like plyometric stuff. But to them, they just played like, you know, they're doing some kind of like, ridiculous like freeze tag or something and chucking med balls seeing who can throw out the furthest and playing basketball that kind of stuff yeah definitely uh we recently got a spike ball set in the facility and that one's been a <laughs> that, that one's pitchers been a... abuse that pitchers abuse that they'll they'll find any excuse to be playing spike ball <laughs> oh it just get, it just gets hectic. it's fun you need so you need so much space around it yeah um yeah it's a good time but no that one's definitely been a great warm-up for us um Going to some of the stuff that uh, Drive Under, I want to highlight uh, why is collecting 
data so important for performance enhancement? Why do we need to see, why do we need to collect data to see improvements and see what we're building on? Yeah, I think a bunch of reasons. One of them being like really like having a tight feedback loop with our athletes. So um, it's really nice to start to make the connection between like what an actual good, let's just say hitting, for example, um, if you're hitting in a cage, being able to look and see how hard you hit the ball, where you're, where it's landing on the field, how fast you're swinging the bat um, in relation to how you felt during that swing. Uh, it can be really helpful to start making the changes that we need um, with that athlete. Uh, sometimes the the whole feel versus real thing can be um, when you don't have that objective feedback can be really challenging uh, to sometimes like a, a swing or a throw might feel really good. Uh, but the actual output, it, which is what we're chasing here to be really good at baseball and to win baseball games, you need, you know, obviously better output. Uh, so being able to have that type of like instant feedback is really helpful. And then on a longer term scale, um, especially like with our motion capture lab, uh, with data we're collecting from, you know, all kinds of tech, uh, lifting data, uh, it just becomes really helpful to start to um, run analysis. We got a great R&D team that can start to, you know, they start to do a lot of investigations on the certain things that, you know, might correlate to ball velocity uh, for throwers or might correlate to bat speed. Uh, or the things that determine success a little bit more. So just the more data we can collect, um, the better the better insight we're going to have on what's important and how we can develop that. Um, and it really starts to help us make uh, make changes in the way we train athletes, um, hopefully on a, a much more accelerated uh, pace. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I had a chat to uh, one of my one of my buddies who's now a rehab pitching coach at the moment and he sort of one of the things he said to me yesterday was the eye has sort of become redundant um because of all the objective feedback we can collect mm. and objective feedback that is so much more reliable in terms of what's actually happening and if what we're doing and the program that we're running is actually working for what we yep. want and i think it enhances i i certainly i'm sure you've seen this as well where there's like the conversation of like how data uh like will replace certain coaches and there there's definitely aspects of you know of data that can make certain portions of a coach's job uh redundant but the really good coaches and the ones you see have a lot of success and again just the ones i'll be able to see like every day are hitting guys or pitching guys or strength guys the way that they can work with data is being able to know how to communicate that, right? To know when, you know, what's matter, what's, what's noise, you know, how to actually use this data that I'm seeing to influence the way that I'm going to work with a guy. So, um, yeah, all that data you collect can be really enhanced by, you know, the value of, of a good coach. Definitely. Um, I, I think it helps a term I'd, I'd like to use sort of coaching intuition. I think mm. it can definitely help drive that coach's eye and coach's intuition that, is why why the coach is there and why we tr- put trust in coaches to help us develop when you sort of need an outside look and uh, data just drives drives that even more yeah a hundred percent um and we know you guys work with a lot of like a lot of big league guys and again that that data collection is so important uh for some of us here we'd just like to know what does it take to improve say a major league hitter or a major league pitcher? 
Yeah. So again, like I'm, I'm not directly working with these guys. So I'll gas up some of our, our pitching, hitting and, and strength guys, but the guys we have are, are really tremendous. And I think just like we were talking about with like, it doesn't necessarily matter how much data we're collecting, how, how much we know if we can't effectively communicate that to make the athletes better. So the training staff we have, I mean, really just phenomenal. Those guys are, are just so great at working with big leaguers in terms of okay, what's your schedule look like? How can we best apply the programming uh, that we need to give you to address, you know, what we found from your assessment? So, uh, you know, like a really great example would be like a guy like a Lars Newtbar who who came through, who is, um, you know, a really good baseball player, but, you know, maybe not quite like a productive big leaguer who's kind of worked his way there. But, um, you know, we, a lot of our trainers were able to just kind of attack, um, you know, attack his specific deficiencies. And obviously it's a testament to, you know, a guy like Lars or any of the other guys that we work with, their work ethics uh, and their commitment to the process. But uh, on our end, what it comes down to is trainers that are really willing to go that extra mile for the athlete um, and be able to, you know, challenge themselves, whether that's, um, you know, making up new programming that we're not usually used to doing or, uh, you know, deep diving their data a little bit more than uh, than they're used to doing just because they they want to find any little nugget that can that can give that athlete an edge. So yeah, really what it comes down to, I think working with those high level guys is just showing that investment from the the trainer end. Um, and when you kind of show that athlete that you're bought in on their success and you're not trying to just like, you know, attach their success uh, to your company, because I think that's something Driveline's done a pretty good job of is, is we... Um, we're not trying to just work with people to say that we we work with people, right? It's 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 a real genuine care of like our trainers love that challenge of trying to get the best in the world even better. Uh, our trainers and our company loves that challenge. So just being able to show that investment uh, for that athlete, I think, uh, is is a really big underlying uh, determinant there. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's sort of one of the markers of someone of a coach who's really passionate about high performance, where it's it's not there for any of the glory it's there to know that you improve that performance at the highest yeah. level um whatever minuscule like minuscule change that makes but just trying to find that and find the process to making that happen as well is why why we do what we do yeah what have you seen i, I mean i know you especially on the high performance side and you guys are really diving in more and more to baseball what have you kind of seen with working whether it's with guys from the adelaide giants uh, or any other high-level guys, what what have you guys kind of seen there? For our level guys, I guess, because we work with, say, younger athletes who are baseball talented, I guess for these guys, it's sort of, if we can get them bigger, stronger, faster, almost so the really the really simple stuff, bigger, stronger, faster, will sort of help these guys improve. Um, I think I guess we've found really good systems that have worked really well without them sort of losing out on any other qualities as um, so, which is what we want. We need to build up what we can in the gym. We need to get stronger. We need to put on muscle mass, um, but we still need to move and let them be able to do what they do best. Yeah. Uh, I guess what we can do is, uh, as they get past a certain point, individualize what they do as an athlete. So obviously, one athlete strategy of producing power and speed isn't going to be the same as another athlete. So just trying to recognize that um as they mature, I thought we don't try to specialize that too often, but just trying to 
nail like just trying to double down on that and double down what they're good at and then just fill in their weaknesses as well mm. yeah yeah I, I think that's a great approach um this is again this is for some of our guys who are looking to play baseball in the u.s uh going college or looking for a professional contract what are some pros and cons about each path and is there one that you recommend or is there sort of it's a choose your own path and then you have to sort of make what make of it what you will yeah it's absolutely dependent on like the individual situation uh i think uh, I certainly didn't have the uh, the luxury of choosing between college and pro when I was coming out of high school. Um, I know a lot of guys, you know, aren't going to have that opportunity. Um, most most guys just aren't going to be good enough to sign pro or get drafted or, in you guys' case, sign as an international free agent um, out of Australia, out of, like, finishing up high school. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be really dependent on that specific athlete, I, I think. You know, there's obviously a ton of factors to weigh if you have the opportunity to play like in an affiliated uh, organization at a high school, uh, especially if the money's pretty good. It, it can sometimes be too good of a, an opportunity to pass up because you never know um, if that opportunity is going to be there again. Uh, even if you go play in college, you might not play that well. You could get hurt. Um, it's certainly something that happens. Uh, but again, the college experience is awesome uh, just in terms of getting to go, you know, be on a team. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, we were talking about earlier about just like, you know, guys going to play in the ABL. There's like this uh, team camaraderie bought in. Everybody's trying to win. Um, being in a good college program, you're going to have that type of um, that type of environment where you're trying to compete for a championship. You're able to be coached. You're able to to make lifelong friends, with teammates. Um, and sometimes you'll have the opportunity to play at a really high level. So, uh, yeah, kind of a cop out answer. It really depends on um the athletes individual circumstances but i think just weighing out the pros and cons of each is really important what do they want to do do they want to um if their ultimate goal is to you know play in the major leagues play at the highest professional level and they have that opportunity right away sometimes it makes sense to to do that but if they feel like they're not ready or maybe they really just want to enjoy you know four years of college baseball uh maybe that's the route they take so you just kind of kind of weigh what's important to you uh cuz you know both options are going to have their merit and uh, it really just depends on, you know, goals and priorities. Cool. Um, and I just want to be a bit in- counterintuitive and ask another question as well. Yeah. Uh, just some stuff I've been reading lately about uh, college guys having a little bit more um, level of success when going on to pro ball than yeah. guys signing on pro ball instead of going to college. Um, why do you think that's something that occurs? Yeah, I would imagine it has a lot to do with just um, maturing, number one, as a, as an adult. Uh, I think, you know, most people coming out of high school, you know, if you're 18 years old versus, you know, 22, 23, having, you know, three, four years in a college, uh, college experience where you're a part of a team, you're getting coached, uh, you have to be an adult, you have to have time management, you got to go to class, uh, you've got to manage, you know, extracurriculars, you, you've got a lot going on. So a lot of times I think just the maturity piece is probably a really big, big thing. And then on the diamond itself, it's like, okay, getting that playing experience, playing against, uh, you know, more challenging competition than you did in high school, um, which is kind of like that bridge between, you know, high school where especially really good players are going to be dominating their level. And then going, if you go straight to the pros, like it's going to be, 
you know, big fish, small pond to, you know, small fish, big pond, uh, being able to have that middle step uh, of college can be really helpful. So it's probably just a combination of, um, for in most cases of like the actual uh, maturity development, as well as the, uh, you know, like the game reps at the college level. What are what are some um characteristics of the same, like same maturity levels of high level guys that you guys see? Yeah, I, I think just like you know, I think most people can probably just see from like different teammates they've played with or uh, coaches from different athletes they've coached. I think uh, you know guys that are really good good teammates, guys that are accountable, guys that are going to show up, you know, show up on time. They're not going to be skipping workouts. They're not going to be half assing um you know their lift their throwing plan um all that all the little stuff the time management the accountability i think are really big um just in terms of like personal characteristics for being successful whether that's in college or at the professional level uh because you know as you get to college it's more competitive as you get to the professional level it's more competitive and if you don't have um you know elite elite tools uh, your leash is, is shorter and shorter, right? So it becomes that much more competitive. And if you don't have, um, you know, if you're not a good teammate or you're not on time or, uh, you don't pay attention or, you know, the little stuff like that, you're not able to be coached uh, or willing to, you know, be respectful to coaches when they, uh, they're trying to work with you on something. Like if you don't have that, uh, you know, it can become really tough to survive, uh, at that competitive level unless you have like, you know, may, unless you're like a first rounder or you're, you know, you're throwing 104, uh, it just becomes that much more challenging. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think, I, like you said, like you really need to be doing the little things to develop those tools unless you have those sort of, like just blessed with that sort of great arm speed, great throwing power, putting really putting your time into developing each tool, each tool as you, if, if they're your strengths, weaknesses, it just takes time, effort. And um, something I always like to say, it has to be purposeful as well. Like it really, mm. really have to put your time in and focus, even if it's just for a small amount, it just means so much more than just putting hours in for the sake of hours. Yeah. And I'd add the work ethic piece too, which I don't think I mentioned, but I think just like being able to learn like what it takes to to be successful uh, at that level. I, I think a lot of times guys going through that college experience, maybe that were just able to, you know, glide by on their natural abilities in high school uh, in college, you know, you might get, you know, it, it might be a little bit more challenging and you're going to actually have to put in some work. You're going to have to hit the weight room harder. You're going to have to actually go through a warm up. Uh, you're going to have to do all this little extra stuff, which I think can really be, um, a good foundation setter for for guys going to play at the next level. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, for these guys that are looking to play in the US, I know a lot of them, a lot of a few of my guys at the moment are looking to sort of add new tools um, to make themselves a more valuable player. Say for the guys who maybe don't stand out as much and still working on their craft and still developing physical tools and skill tools as well what's something for them that can help them stand out or make them more valuable as a as a player to be recruited or signed yeah so you're saying like guys that uh aren't quite there with like the physical tools but just like what else can they can they focus on to make themselves a little bit more appealing to for like a new team or school yeah definitely like it's sort of like a game sense yeah i think in a game sense or just like overall 
uh, in a game sense and overall. So I guess one of our yeah. guys at the moment is he's an outfielder, and now he's sort of adding, he's um, developing skills as a first baseman as well, just to mm-hmm. make himself more valuable. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a great way adding uh, additional like positional flexibility is a, is a great way to to make yourself more valuable if you can actually play those positions. Uh, getting really good at the little stuff, uh, like being fundamentally sound, like uh, base running stuff, right? Like knowing how to you know make the correct you know make the correct read uh, as a base runner, or the correct read as an infielder, an outfielder. Uh, or just like a catcher being really sharp at controlling the game, uh, stuff that like might take a little bit less uh, like physical skills, but a lot more just baseball IQ, uh, just being really good at that stuff. And then I think outside of the like in-game stuff, I think things that can be really, really appealing to a college or even a professional organization um, in a lesser regard in college, especially is like the educational side, right? Like being a really good, uh, really good, good in the classroom uh if it comes down to you and another guy uh neither of you have you know great physical tools but both are fighting for that last roster spot on a college team if you've got better grades uh and you seem like a you know more accountable more mature person a lot of times the coach is just going to pick that person as a tiebreaker and then i think even on the professional side uh obviously you need like a higher lore of uh, of physical tools but uh you know a guy that's just like we talked about some of the maturity uh, a couple of questions ago, where it's like, if you've got a guy uh, maybe that's going to bad mouth some of his teammates and doesn't show up on time, uh, most likely the guy who is on time is accountable uh, and is a really good teammate uh, with the same, you know, physical characteristics, the same stats, uh, that guy's going to have a, a little bit better of a chance to survive than the guy that's uh, not being a good teammate. So all the little stuff like that is really important, especially when you have uh, less physical tools. That's not to say it's not important when you do have physical tools, but uh, especially if you are, you know, fighting for a roster spot somewhere. Yeah, hundred percent. One of my favorite things I've ever heard from uh, I can't I can't remember the source was, um, but professional athletes you almost have to be a professional athlete at everything you do. Like with life life stuff, you need to be professional. Personal stuff, you need to be. A professional at it, it just helps you be all encompassing as an athlete and as a person to help you with your yeah. practice and your and your and your career. Because if you are a professional athlete, that like this is your career. Yeah, and anything you do too, it becomes really uh, really applicable for whatever next step um, you know athletes take after their playing career. Right. Um, and for the for these high school sort of level athletes. Um, could you just sort of take us through a sort of a, like a training day with you guys, what you guys might take them through um, for teams that are training with you? Yeah. Yeah. So a typical high school training, uh, training day, like let's say an athlete's uh, out here in an off season, obviously the phase of the year is going to be dependent, but typically what guys will do uh, is they'll be throwing with us like six days a week and they'll be lifting uh, about three days a week. So we try to be really conscious of managing just athlete workload. Um, so we'll try to pair up like high intent throwing sessions or high volume throwing sessions with their uh, with their lift days and then have the low days be low. Uh, that way that athlete can recover. Obviously, things like sleep, nutrition, all that's really important as well. Uh, but yeah, typical training day on the higher intent day would probably be they'd come in They'd go through a warm up uh, with our high performance staff. Again, a lot of the fun stuff we talk about, uh, just getting them, uh, you know, movement prep, dynamic warm up, 
heart rate up, get ready to rock, uh, go through like a throwing specific warm up, go through all their throwing drills. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, do stuff with plyo, uh, with the plyo balls, go through, uh, any like long toss, um, any type of mound work, anything like that they'll be doing. And then they'd go through, uh, and do their lift, uh, on site, you know, go through, uh, really dependent on whatever they've got. Uh, in terms of specific weaknesses we saw in their, uh, their assessment process, which we'll run through like with force plates. Uh, but yeah, they'll go through, do any like plyometric sprint work, uh, and then go through all their lift stuff and then do, uh, like a recovery, uh, for both their throwing exercises and just like in general for the day. And then that's pretty much a standard day for like the, the high school college throwing guy. Obviously each workout is going to be dependent on like what they need and the intent's going to be, um, uh, you know, planned out by their, by their trainer, but that's kind of roughly what, uh, you know, what training looks like for like a high school pitcher. Yeah. Nice. Um, so you guys said you throw six days a week. For the typically. Day. Yeah. So typically, and it, de- again, it really depends on where they're at in their, in their calendar year, really. So, uh, we were really big on the on-ramping before we put guys into any type of high intent work. And typically in America, like the way like a high school guys, um, like his season would go is that again, he'll have spring, which is where his, um, which would probably be like March to March to May is where his like school season goes. And then he's going to have like, you know, June through August is where he's going to have summer ball. Some guys are going to be playing travel ball um through other periods but we have a little bit um we just basically have the idea of like when they're playing and then we're going to try to on-ramp them to get ready for any high intent work to get ready for their season or for uh maybe a specific skill development maybe they're trying to focus um you know they're on like a pitch design phase where they need to throw at max effort uh excuse me to develop like you know fastball or slider or anything like that so it's going to be really um dependent on the time of year there yeah absolutely um, I think for some of our guys here, especially at the like at the grassroots level, um, throwing six days a week sounds like a scary thing to do. Um, I try to get the message across to my guys that there there isn't many bad bad modalities of training, only bad preparation. So right. if six days of six days a week sounds scary to you, then maybe it's something that you need to take a little bit more preparation to. But I'm in my opinion, a lot of guys can get up to throwing six days a week without without it being uncomfortable or painful. It just takes time. It takes effort to build that tissue quality and that movement quality to be able to handle that sort of load as well. Right. It's having a, it's having a purpose. And it's not just throwing six days a week to throw six days a week. It's not throwing six high intent days a week. Uh, we use something called Pulse, which uh, is just like an, a little arm sensor we use. Uh, to track not only like throw count, but we track uh, volume, uh, we track intensity as well. So like how fast they're moving their arm, uh, we'll use it as kind of like uh, keep, you know, keep a general range on a guy to make sure that, hey, like it's a recovery day. Like I don't want you throwing more than, you know, 35 total throws and I don't want you to exceed, you know, four or five, 600 arm speed uh, within the app uh, on their sensor. So like being able to give a guy a gauge of like, hey, you are throwing today, but it's very low intent. Uh, this is really just to make sure that we have like uh, long-term throwing fitness and we can be ready to rock for a high intent day tomorrow. So not every throwing day is created equal. Uh, not every training day is created equal, right? Like you're going to have different lifts 
which you're going to see all the time where it's like, you know, they're not, they're not the exact same every time. Some are going to be much more stressful for that athlete. Uh, and you want to make sure that um, they're managing that intensity. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I know for myself, over building my arm over the last year after not throwing at all for maybe uh, eight years. Wow. Uh, I know that after the, after that sort of year of training of using weighted balls, long toss, playing catch, um, and doing that regularly, I know for myself that one week I might be able to have three high intent days. The next week I might have to take that down to one or two. And it's yeah. just sort of developing your awareness of how you feel and knowing what you can do on the day, even if you do have a plan, um, knowing that maybe that you have a high intent day set out, but maybe you're just not quite feeling that. And that's why um, taking data again is why it's so important. And yeah. why the pulse monitor can be so valuable because we can see that straight away and base that off of how the athlete feels. Yeah. And it's having discipline too, which is, which is really tough. Uh, I, it's something I know that like, you know, I, I've been training for years and I feel like I am still developing and where it's like, okay, like I don't feel great today. I'm supposed to have a high intent day. You know, the competitor within you wants to just say, screw it, I'm sending it. Uh, but sometimes you got to be a little bit smarter knowing like, okay, hey, like my season doesn't start for this amount of time. Like if I actually just take today light or off and then see how I feel tomorrow and try to switch my schedule around, like maybe that's going to be a better better option for me than like try to blow it out. Uh, when maybe your your body doesn't feel like you can handle it. Obviously, there's times to kind of push through that, but you have to just like have that um, that awareness and that discipline, which takes time uh, to develop. But you're completely right. Like it's just being able to know um, when you need to kind of shift things around because your schedule is it's just not going to always work out perfectly. It's good to have a plan, but a lot of times you got to be willing to to make some adaptations. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Aaron, if you could finish off sort of. What is your message and driveline's message to young Australian baseballers sort of looking to take themselves to the next level? Yeah, I mean, I I guess maybe this is a little cliche, but it's probably as simple as like have fun, work hard. I mean, uh, you know, baseball, baseball is a pretty crazy game in the sense that like, um, it, you know, if you put in a lot of work, uh, it's it's pretty crazy to see how how much better you can get, even if you, you feel like you started a spot where you weren't that good. Um, and I think, especially at the, the young, um, for young baseball players, it's just really important that they're enjoying the game, whether that's doing fun things, like you mentioned, like in the training atmosphere, making sure that's fun for them, making sure that they're enjoying it, that they're, they're not going to quit baseball by the time they're, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old because they're burnt out. Um, I get that's a little bit more directed, I think you know, at parents and coaches, making sure that that um, that focus is for kids to have fun and develop, uh, because, you know, we see it a lot in America where, you know, athletes get burnt out. It happens at all kinds of sports, not just baseball, but uh, making sure that athletes are actually having fun. So they want to keep playing baseball, if, like baseball is something they like and they're not quitting because, um, you know, maybe they they didn't make a, you know, a U6 team or something when they were just like a really little kid. Um, but, yeah, I think it just boils down to like, you know, if you really do want to, you know, play in college, you do want to play professionally. Uh, at the end of the day, I think it's just really important to kind of have no regrets with it. And, you know, if, if that's something you really want to do, like fully commit to it and, you know, kind of work work really hard for it. And whatever happens, happens. It, it's kind of a nice piece 
Um, again, a lot of guys have come through driveline and something I think drew me uh, to come out here was just that um, kind of that like, hey, like if you really want to do something, like give it everything you got and whatever happens, happens. But you can kind of know when you go to bed that like, you know, you did everything you could and there's no what if. So I think for anyone trying to play, yeah, baseball at the next level is really just like make sure that you if you really are serious about it, make sure that you give it everything you got and then you can kind of you kind of know whatever happened, happened. Yeah, I love that. That's a, that's a great message. Aaron, so thank you so much for joining me and having a chat and putting out a lot of good information there for young baseballers. Uh, for the listeners, if you haven't yet, go to Driveline's website. Make sure you have a read. Check out their resources. There's so much good information on there that can help you improve your game. Keep up to date with their blog because there's so many good articles for you. Yeah. Well, hey, Jazz, really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, and for any, I guess, any listeners out there, yeah, check out our website. Uh, feel free to inquire there. There's ways to get in contact with us if you got questions. Uh, but yeah, Jazz, really appreciate all the work you guys are doing with the AAC. Um, yeah, thanks for the time today. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks.